Hey guys, what's up? This is Andy Frisella here. You're listening to Big MX Radio, but when you're done with this episode, come check out the MFCEO project, mfceo.com. I got all your motivation. I've got everything you need to know about running your brand. I've got everything you need to know about getting shit done, and we can do it together. Welcome to the Big MX Radio podcast brought to you by Sickwix.com as well as Medterra CBD. You can go to MedterraCBD.com right now and enter discount code BIGMXRADIO15 to receive 15% off your order. I am your host, Brad Gebhardt, with us on the line, a guy who knows way too much about motocross, both sides of the border, in fact, all the way around the world. He is the uh, the big boss with the hot sauce over at MXP, MX Performance Magazine, Chris Pomeroy. Chris, how's it going? It's going good, man. How are you? Hey, not doing too bad. Can't complain. It's a beautiful Wednesday morning here, and uh, other than battling a slight Head cold. Uh, we're, uh, we're 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 battling through. We're getting we're we're doing all right. <laughs> I feel you, man. There's lots of uh, this unpredictable weather. I'm assuming it's the same uh, in your neck of the woods. I know uh, out here in Ontario, we've had uh, good days, bad days, and uh, unfortunately, when it's like that, those uh, spring spring colds just stick around. Oh yeah, no, I, I definitely either my girlfriend got me sick or uh, I think her old man was sick a little while ago. We had snow on Sunday for a little bit, and then we had uh, we had, I think it hit a, a high of 18 yesterday. So go figure. Uh, either way, we're on the friendly confines of a nice warm uh, inside job right now, uh, talking to you on the radio here for the Big MX Radio podcast, a podcast that. Uh, we've been going back and forth for uh, anywhere between two weeks and, and about 10 days uh, of trying to line things up, but we're finally on the phone together. We're chatting about uh, Canadian motocross. Are you ready? <laughs> I'm ready to go, and I, also, I apologize for, for being hard to track down. Oh, but uh, Not a problem. I guess it's, uh, it's good to be busy in this industry. Absolutely it is. And, uh, and actually, that, that, that's sort of one of the things that uh, I wanted to ask you about is the fact that um, with this brand new Triple Crown series having uh, started last year, a whole lot more tour dates as far as uh, events to go to and uh, just more Canadian motocross events last year than probably uh, a lot of years uh, going back. Um, does that make your job uh, easier from a content standpoint and more stressful from uh, having to cover everything standpoint? How do you tackle that? That's a good question. I mean, I guess I guess you're correct. Um, I mean, it, it gives us uh, it gives us lots lots more to talk about. Um, definitely, last year we we never never ran. Me and my media friends, I don't think ever ran out of subjects to to hash over, um, whether it be uh, you know social media or, or website or um, you know in a, in our case print. But um, yeah, I mean, I remember when they first when Jetworks first came out and said, you know, we're going to do this series um, in 18, you know, I remember looking at the schedule and saying, oh, you know, this is going to be, uh, it's going to be a lot of travel and a lot more, uh, a lot more extra work. Um, you know, plus with the magazine, I mean, there's always, you throw in five or six, maybe media events during the year that, uh, that you travel to. Um, so it's tough, but um, you know what, last year, I thought last year went went okay. It was uh yeah, a few extra dates, a few extra trips to the airport, but um you know, I love traveling and uh you know, if it's traveling you know, vacation or for work or whatever, um I've always, you know, enjoyed the whole process of 
of going to the airport, getting on a plane, going somewhere. Um, so when all was said and done last year, it didn't uh, it didn't feel too bad, and uh, we made it through it. And looking forward to this year. Absolutely, and uh, yeah, like never going to complain about uh, jumping on an airplane to go watch a motocross race, especially when my alternative is to uh, be standing next to a brick wall and building it as tall as I can each day. Uh, but um, like, like the sport of motocross, obviously. For to be in the sport of motocross and to be working in the sport of motocross, you have to be extremely passionate about it. You need to have a deeply seated love for the sport of motocross uh, because uh, whether it be uh, competing in it, racing, or covering the sport, you need, there are some ups and downs with it. There's there's some frustrations and there's some some things that you're going to have to battle through. How did you develop that love, that passion that's necessary to be active within the sport of motocross for uh, damn near 40 years? Well, I mean, it, like I said, it started uh, it started a long time ago. Um, you know, just like like probably every every kid out there, just going to the races with my dad. Um, at first, it was just to kind of to watch my cousin race and then some friends race. Uh, after that, it it turned into you know, hey, we we're going these races. We you know we spend time riding at home. Why don't we try racing? And um, so it turned into competing. And I think just over time, the the passion just got you know built up more and more, and it uh, turned into you know it went from something that we did for fun to I was able to you know turn pro and you know turn into a little bit of a career, and then um, yeah, it's just kind of progressed into into what it is right now with with being the editor of MXP and you know, still riding all the time. And now my son rides. So we're at the races for that too. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's hard to pinpoint, you know, one area where, where the passion got built up. I think it's just been, you know, over time, it's just gradually, uh, gradually got bigger and bigger and thankfully, uh, it's still going. Absolutely. Uh, falling in love with motocross is a damn easy thing. Uh, it's pretty spectacular. Bikes flying through the air, the sounds, the smells, and especially as we were coming up, uh, the, the, the two-stroke scent when you got out of your truck at the track and, uh, and the crack of a two-stroke throttle definitely uh, grabs a heart like no other. Um, but what was the landscape like for you growing up in, uh, I, from, from my understanding, Ontario, uh, racing, riding, uh, who's around you, who are some of the, your main competition, and uh, sort of like if you could sort of map out what that landscape looks like. Uh, for those who don't know, obviously, uh, this is a, uh, a can, mostly a Canadian podcast, but uh, we got American listeners, we got Australian listeners. Shout out to Jonesy. <laughs> um, well, it's, you know, we grew up, uh, my dad had a farm, we had 75 acres. And at the time, you know, when I was, when I was little, we, we farmed it. Uh, and then, you know, kind of, as I got a bike at a JR 50, that was my very first, first bike. And we got that and then made a couple little trails and just rode around and just, my dad came, you know, he was from a riding background. He used to ride, uh, scrambles and, anything he get his hands on when he was younger. So it's definitely in the blood. And then, um, like I said, my cousin was racing. So we'd, we'd go to tracks like Moto Park and Holly Gully, um, back in the day to, to watch him race. And then it just, I mean, you talk about, you know, kids getting hooked on the sport and, 
uh, I can still, you know, it's still very vivid, vivid memory to pull up to, to say Moto Park, um, you know, in, in my dad's car, you know, couldn't wait to park, you know, he'd be looking for a, the right parking spot. And I'd be like, just shut the car off right here. We'll jump out. And, uh, as soon as I jumped out and you just smell, you know, back in those days, obviously it was two strokes, but you just smell that thick two stroke, uh, smell. It was, oh my God, it was, uh, like I said, I still remember it. uh, You can almost smell it now. Oh yeah. And I mean, it's cool because we still, you know, we still go ride at Moto Park quite a bit during the year and, uh, you know, a lot's changed there, but, uh, you know, you still kind of get the same feeling when you, you pull in that gate and, you know, the house is on the left-hand side and the barn's on the right. I mean, that hasn't changed. So you kind of just get transported uh, back into time, um, thinking about those those days, you know, 40 or so years ago. But, uh, no, it was, uh, like I said, when I was a kid, we just had farming and riding, and riding for me was uh, kind of something that I could do when, when we weren't working on the farm. So of course I, uh, I looked forward to it every, every chance I got. So, um, you know, from there it just turned into racing and, and, you know, racing guys like, um, you know, Steve Boylowski, um, he was a top amateur. I think everyone's heard his name before. Um, you know, Marty Burr, who I raced against in pro right? guys like that. I mean, there's, there's so many guys that that we grew up racing just that uh you know kind of 1980s i mean this would have been probably 82 83 like through the 80s and stuff like that it was uh it was fun it was fun i wouldn't i uh, wouldn't change wouldn't change a thing at this point absolutely and on on top of that uh an era i love uh, talking to guys who who raced in through the the very late 70s, in through the 80s, and even into the 90s. Because if you look at, um, say, a 1979 dirt bike in in comparison to a 1991, keeping in mind that those bikes are only 12 years apart, the radical differences in those motorcycles, like almost year after year after year, it seemed like the manufacturers were pretty much reinventing how they were building these bikes. Um, went from uh, like almost I think every bike was uh, was air cooled in '79 into uh, the late the early 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 '80s. Um, everything's liquid cooled. You've got uh, linkage systems coming in, completely different suspension. And by '91, a lot of the a lot of the uh, the forks are not only fully suspended. The the bike the bikes are 12 inches of travel front and rear, and the, then the forks are upside down. It, it was a it was a totally cool uh, like kind of world to be in, and uh, you were kind of in the thick of things, and uh, yeah, like uh, by by the by the end of that sort of era, you're you're going toe to toe with Jeff Chicken Matasevich. Not a huge, not no big deal, just a little bit of a humble brag right there. <laughs> yeah, the chicken. Uh, I still uh, I posted I posted that thing on my Instagram last week, and uh, I got a bunch of comments I think from from people saying, you know, why didn't you take him out in that last corner and. <laughs> stuff and uh it's funny i remember going into that corner thinking you know should i just drive it in on him and and make him uh really pay for for trying to pass me because yeah. i mean that was a battle for the lead at that point so um but i just remember the last second just thinking yeah you know what uh it's a long moto i mean i think that was like lap five or six at the time and uh i was like just a little bit early to be uh to make a little early to make enemies in this moto and have a little respect for 
for the chicken and stuff. So I gave him a little bit of room, but, uh, that was a good battle for sure. But, uh, yeah, I mean, what you, what you were saying about, you know, how much, how much the bikes changed from, um, you know, from the late seventies through the eighties, especially from, you know, say 1980 to, to 85, 86. Um, it was just, it blows your mind when you, when you think about it, how much, you know, how much the whole sport and, and the machinery changed. And, um, actually last weekend at Moto Park, we were up there for a race and they had a kind of a vintage class. And, and one of the kids was out there on a 19, I think it was a 79 RM80. And, you know, nice. I was pointing out to, I was pointing out to my son going, look, like, you know, I raced a 1981 RM80. I think that was my first 80 CC bike and it was air cooled. Yeah, and um, you know, watching this this kid out there on the '79, and it just just the sound and the you know, I mean, it looked good that they'd restored it. The bike looked amazing, but to, just to hear the sound and see what little suspension it had, and it was just like my son was like, just shook his head. He was like, "You used to, you know, you guys used to race those things." Yeah, and I'm like, yeah. completely I mean, seriously too. Yeah. Well, I was. <laughs> That was the bike to have back then, but uh, yeah, just from there, you know, liquid cooled and suspension got better, and um, yeah, it was a, a pretty pretty cool time to be involved in the sport. Absolutely. So, uh, how did um, how did your progression sort of go, get you to the pro ranks? Obviously, you got some talent, you cultivate it, you continue racing, you move through the ranks. Um, but what did that look for you as far look like for you as far as advancing like from one level to the next and eventually uh like what age did you turn uh pro obviously in canada there's some different rules some guys can turn pro as young as 14 how early were you uh, uh rubbing uh, elbows with the uh, the carl valencourts of the world <laughs> well i i was lucky that i was um i was able to turn pro at, in august of 80 1989 as a uh 16 year old i was 16 a couple months before that and I'd won the 125 Intermediate Canadian Championship out in Alberta at that summer. And um, I probably, you know, Alex Alex Longevin won the 250, you know, which he uh, he rode well. So uh, I give props to him. But um, my 250 blew up halfway through the first moto. Well, I had a, a pretty big lead. So. Um, who knows what would have happened in that class, but, uh, yeah, I was coming off an intermediate championship and there was really nothing, nothing left to do in intermediate. So decided to turn pro kind of for the fall, fall season and yeah, jumped, jumped right into it. Wrote some, some local pro stuff here. Um, at the time it was, uh, you know, names like Jeff Sirwall was here racing, um, you know, Brad King, Mm -hmm. um, one of my early uh, early mentors from when I was a kid, Kevin Moore was racing. Oh yeah. Um, so it was it was cool to to kind of like you said, bang elbows with with a, a rider like Kevin that you know had pretty much. We did a lot of riding together when when he had turned pro in in eighty eighty five eighty six. Um, I was obviously still on on eighty fives, um, but he used to come up to our place. Um, and ride and, you know, kind of mentor me and, and, you know, kind of just work with me on stuff. And 
so he was obviously one of my favorite riders growing up. And then when I turned pro and all of a sudden you're lined up beside him, um, that was, uh, that was pretty cool. And then, uh, you know, went from local races and did the final, uh, there was a Montreal supercross later uh, in September in 89 and raced that. And there was just a, obviously one class in those days, just a 250 class. And, um, yeah, I got, super fortunate in that race got a great start um ran probably ran i think third for for a lot of it and ended up six overall so that was uh you know kind of like wow like i can you know my speed's good i can do this um yeah let's let's keep uh let's keep rolling so yeah had a really definitely a, a good good beginning good beginning there when i turned pro so Oh, you're dipping your toes in and having success right away. I'm sure that uh, uh, Kevin was probably wishing that he hadn't given you as many pointers as he ended up giving you. But uh, either way, that's the way it worked out. And uh, I think that's one of the things that maybe motocross, very different from a lot of other sports, has always sort of had. And like I, I remember my, my dad talking about it when he he raced in the 70s with guys like Kim Hood. Um, always surrounding yourself with those faster riders, uh, find, seeing what they do, seeing how they prepare, seeing how they attack corners, and, and uh, obviously uh, if you're in a group like that, you'll get some conversation going, and you'll pick up some pointers here and there. Uh, there isn't a whole lot of structured uh, education, or, or ride, like obviously there's, there's riding clinics, there's always been schools, even going back to the 70s, 80s, 90s, um, but as far as like what I noticed, what really unlocks a lot of things for, uh, say, your up-and-coming inter- uh, junior riders going into intermediate and even some of your intermediate riders getting into the pro ranks is uh, guys who surround themselves with guys who are faster than them often uh, kind of uh, they, they, they sort of uh, adopt that speed. They adopt that, uh, that whole mentality, and I think that's one of the X factors in uh, um, really achieving that next level of success, especially in the world of motocross where – um, unless you're getting private lessons uh, on a weekly basis, it's tough to really get to that next level. Yeah, it is. I mean, at the time, I think when you're, you know, when you're just engrossed in it and you're, you know, you're a young kid and you're, you're trying to find ways to, to improve. Um, you know, I, I kind of think, you know, you don't really, it doesn't really dawn on you what you're, you're trying to do. You're just trying to get better right each weekend. Um, right. But, you know, as I sit here and look back on it, um, you know, it was, um, just a huge task at the time to, to try to, um, yeah, just try to kind of fit in with, um, fit in with the, with the fast kids. And just at the time, I mean, when I was, um, looking back on it, it was, you know, kind of, I think a good thing because I was, uh, you know, I always joke about this, but, you know, I was pretty, pretty crap back in the, in the day. Um, you know, there's a lot of fast kids and, um, you know, I was speed wise, I was just not there. It took me a, a long time. Um, and I, but I had good, I had good technique and, um, you know, guys like Kevin and, um, another, another rider who lived near us that used to come and ride with me all the time was, uh, a guy by the name of Scott Dixon, um, you know, he was the the very first mentor, if you want to call him that, uh, that I had. And he was, 
you know, he was so big on just style and like looking good. You know, he always used to joke about, uh, you know, it doesn't matter how you finish, you got to look good and, and stuff like that. And, uh, he, we, we worked and back then it even like, you know, I say work, it didn't really feel like work. It was just like, Hey, you know, get your, get your elbows up and stand up more and, and stuff like that. But, you know, we, he used to tell me that all the time. So I ended up developing, you know, pretty good technique, even at a young age. And, um, you know, people used to come up to, to my dad at races and go, oh, you know, Chris has, you know, he's got, you know, good style. He's got really good style. And my dad would be like, yeah, but like, you know, he just finished like 12th. So, you know, <laughs> that's style's great, but it'd be nice to maybe crack the top 10. But, uh, you know, once it, uh, you know, I didn't know it at the time, but I was just building, you know, putting the, all the built the blocks into place and, you know, building stuff for the future. And then, um, you know, once I did decide to twist the throttle, so to speak, um, I had the kind of that base, that technique to, uh, that allowed me to, you know, transition into that, you know, higher speed, higher pace without, uh, going, without necessarily going through, you know, a whole bunch of, uh, crashes and stuff. So, um, yeah, it was a super long process, but, you know, at the time, it was good because, you know, I faced a lot of adversity early as far as like results and, you know, just not finishing, you know, I'd get lapped in the, the 80, what they call it then. I think they called it ADA or AD expert or something like that back then. And yep. I mean, guys like, um, Marty Burr even, and Jeff Rustin. And, um, there was a bunch of, bunch of guys that, you know, would almost, lap me. I mean, Todd Townen was another kid who was fast back then. Um, you know, they would, they would just put it to me. And then, um, like I said, it was just one, one day, you know, I just decided in my mind that, uh, I was just going to twist the throttle and, uh, you know, I did and kind of, it was all, you know, it wasn't instantly great, but uh, things improved after that. Well, there you go. Like, did not come easy to you, but once uh, once you decided to take it to the next level, uh, the foundation was there to uh, to be pretty successful. I gotta say, um, like a long professional career. Obviously, you're still racing, riding, and enjoying it to this day. Um, and uh, and also c- coming into a professional career that uh, sort of spanned the. Uh, um, the departure of the CMA, and, uh, to a point, I guess, uh, and uh, the ushering in the CMRC, um, like a, as a pro, um, sort of. If you maybe take us through that a little bit, I think there's a lot of people who don't really know a lot of the ins and outs of how that really happened, how that really transitioned, and uh, I think at some point it resulted in uh, local boy Shane Langdale getting a Canadian national championship on a one-day event. <laughs> Yeah, those were, uh, um, I can't even think of the best word to, to describe, uh, describe those days, kind of the, the transition from, from the CMA to, um, you know, the first, I guess it was the, the CMC and then that quickly turned into the, the CMRC. But, uh, yeah, I mean, the CM, the CMA, it's, you know, it's crazy that, uh, you know, here we are, 2019 and we're still uh we're still talking about the cma and you know people are are upset with with how they how they run things but um 
you know, in those days, it was uh, it, they had been obviously the only the only sanctioning body for many years, and I think towards the late 1980s, um, you know, it kind of coincided, I think, too, with with the economy there going going south in in early 90s. People were just just kind of fed up, right? And uh, right. just fed up with not so much maybe with with any one thing, just kind of how the CMA was was running the sport and how they were just kind of failing to to change and to adapt to to how the industry was and how the economy was, and it was just the same the same old thing and you know, everyone's kind of like, God, it's just, we got to be, we got to be able to do better than this. I mean, this is a great sport and, you know, things are tough and, but, um, you know, we need change and that kind of opened the door for, um, you know, Mark and stuff to come in with, with the CMRC. So, yeah, I just kind of, I think it was, it was the kind of snowball rolling down the hill effect. I mean, it just kind of slowly got rolling. I think their first event was, was the Walton Transcan, you know, way back in, in 92, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, that was the first non-CMA event. And I remember as a, as a pro rider, I've been pro for, for a couple of years and, you know, it was a typical threats, you know, from the CMA. If anyone, you know, if any pro riders, go ride this non-CMA event, you won't, you know, you won't get your license for the next year and you'll be banned. And, um, so, you know, it kind of, a few people were kind of took notice of that, I think, and said, you know, okay, well, maybe we, maybe we better, better, you know, this might just be a one-off event here at Walton, maybe just sit back and see what happens. And, um, you know, it was actually, you know, Ross, I mean, it was rollerball that, that broke the ice and was like, you know, I don't care. I'm going to have a chance to make money. <laughs> I'm going, yeah. I'm going wherever, wherever their money, there's money. Right. And no one's going to, no one's going to tell me I can't race. So he broke the ice and that kind of, uh, that started, I think 93, 93 was the last year of a full, um, full national CMA schedule, um, where we went out West and, you know, I think we went to your your neck of the woods there in Austin. Yes, sir. Um, you know that that tracks a that tracks a whole other story altogether. But uh, you know, we went to Austin, we went to uh, Duncan, BC, uh, Mission, um, then a bunch of rounds in Quebec, in Ontario. Um, those were CMA, and that was the uh, that was the final final hurrah for for the CMA was '93. Yeah, like the right after that, the CMRC ushered in, um, and uh, and with that, a, like a, a a different organization, a different look at how how to uh, uh, create a series, not totally unlike the change that we've seen uh, in the Canadian landscape over the last eighteen months, um, and so uh, like racing the CMRC series, and eventually coming to, uh, I assume you must have raced Grunthal at some point as well. Yeah, we raced. Um, I've only ever been to Grunthal once, I believe, and that was uh, in two thousand. When Doug DeHaan won. Yeah, um, that was uh, the series. 
the series went there, and I actually really liked that track, to be honest with you. I thought that was uh, one of the better tracks that, that I've ridden, you know, in any part of the country. Uh, so, yeah, that was um, good dirt, nice uh, kind of flat uh, paddock area. Yeah. Um, yeah, I thought that was not, you know, not too far from from Winnipeg. And, yeah, I thought that was a great. I wish, you know, I kind of wish we'd, the series had, had gone back to that or, um, you know, even maybe went there again in the future. But, um, yeah, Grunthal was good. And, and yeah, that was the, uh, from, like I said, from 93, you know, sorry, from 94 on, uh, you know, Mark and then the CMRC just, you know, they paid, first first thing they did was they allowed the riders to make a little more, a little more money, which was, you know, desperately needed at that time. Cause as I mentioned, the, the economy wasn't, wasn't great in those days. Um, you know, so none of us, none of the riders were really getting great deals in, in those days. So any money that we could make from, from racing was, was what we needed. And, you know, Mark came along and just, it was perfect timing. It was, he came along the right time and the sport needed him at the time. And, he he, uh, he definitely made the most of it. Absolutely, turning it into a uh, a series that was very well attended uh, from riders both both sides of the border. Um, in fact, uh, due to that, uh, Darcy Lands watched two uh, 125 West Championships ripped out of his hands in the final race, both at Grunthal in consecutive years. One Brad Hagseth, one Sean Hamblin. Um, but uh, a, a series that ended up on, on uh, what would become uh, Rogers Sportsnet. That was the coolest thing when I was a kid uh, watching, uh, I believe it was Travers first and then Coster after that. Uh, as Actually, the first year... Rollerball did the color commentary, which um, is entertaining. I'm just going to leave it at that. Um, but uh, um, pretty amazing to see. And like, like what were, what were you guys thinking when uh, like like Canadian motocross goes from very like just not very uh, sort of a, a landscape where you can make a lot of money to uh, six years later you're you're on you're on national television. Of course, it's tape delayed. It's not a it's not a live race, but you're you're on TV. And uh, really, sort of changed the landscape and brought the racing into the homes of a lot of people who uh, otherwise hadn't seen it before. Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of like what we talked about with with how much the bikes changed there in the early early eighties. Right. Um, you know, you think back to to just how much you know how fast things moved from you know say ninety six when um, you know we talk about that race that I had at Walton with, uh, with Matasevich. I mean, that right. was the final round in 1996 and that was the, you know, that was a full TSN broadcast. Um, I mean, obviously it wasn't live, but it was aired, I think a week later. Um, and yeah, that was the first time that, that a television crew had showed up at a, at a national and was going to, um, you know, promote us on, on TV. And, uh, you know, at the time that was, I mean, can't even begin to describe the, the excitement that kind of was around the pits, um, you know, with riders, with, with guys like, you know, team guys like Ron Ashley and 
John Nelson and, and stuff like that. Like, everyone was just like so pumped. And then, yeah, I went from there. Ninety-seven, they did the, they did the. I don't think it was TSN, but they they did the whole series. Um, and then it just kept going. And then, you know, two thousand. You know, fast forward to two thousand. It was the, uh, you know, that's kind of when the whole series changed to, you know, to what we saw for the next kind of couple decades was, um, you know, guys didn't have to, all of a sudden the riders didn't have to ride both classes to get a, to get an overall number. So, you know, I love that guys, though. Yeah, that was the, that was the day, wasn't it? That, uh, you know, matching kick. Matching 125 250s is an era that I I will always if I if if, if I can never go back to it I'll, I'll I'll go back every time. Well, I mean, you see it, you know, like last year at Walton, you saw that um, that kid from Bermuda. Um, I always mispronounce his first name, but I'm going to call him uh, Jairi, maybe Jair Mitchell. That kid yeah. rode. He tried to ride both classes. Um, I think he did. I think he had three pretty good motos, but uh, yeah, I mean those days, you know, from when I turned pro in '89 to you know 1999, those you know 125, 250s, four motos a day. Uh, it was man, unless you've unless you've done it, it's hard to describe to people I can't really, just yeah. how difficult four national motos in one day was, regardless of how you know, how fit you were, you know, how unfit you were. It didn't matter. You, everyone was sitting on the the starting line for the final moto, uh, just miserable. You know, hands were, you know, I used to tape tape my hands up before the day started um, and probably, you know, retape them a couple times. You know, you'd put baby powder on your hands before the motos um, so they, you know, soak up a little moisture. But, um it didn't matter by the last, you know, sitting on the line for the last moto, you're, you know, you got monkey butt, your hands are shredded. Um, you're, you're dehydrated. Cause you just pause. You can't possibly drink enough water throughout the day to, to compensate for, for what you're losing. Um, yeah, it was just, it was tough, but, uh, you know, again, it's one of those years that you look back on and you're just kind of happy happy that you're a part of it because it was so difficult. You know what I mean? Totally. Like, uh, um, let's, let's also uh, mention that we're, uh, we're wearing most likely cotton jerseys, pants that, uh, did not breathe whatsoever. Uh, same thing with the helmet, very little venting whatsoever. Um, the gloves often were like bulky and had like, I don't know why, but like literally the entire top of the glove was just covered with sort of like a rubber neoprene that uh, the, the, they had the graphic on and stuff like that. Not conducive to being uh, uh, like, you compare today's gear to that, that, that level like 19 years ago, it's ridiculous. Um, and you guys were, were sweating it out and uh, yeah, four motos a day, you're pretty much, uh, you get X number of uh, spectators and you guys are the only entertainment. So you better uh, uh, show up and put on a show. Um, what, uh, what prompted you to, uh, to eventually, uh, hang up the boots as far as, uh, professional racing goes? Uh, well, it wasn't just, you know, like, like most of us, I guess it wasn't just, uh, wasn't just something that you, you wake up one morning and, and decide, and, you know, it wasn't also just one reason. Um, it was, uh, you know, it's just, 
a bunch of things that that had started to to add up um kind of the first thing was um in 98 yeah august of 98 uh, just before the final two rounds, there was two rounds last that year in the series at uh, Alverton and then Walton. And I went to this. We just we just wrapped up the Ontario Provincial Series, which I mean, in those days, was a pretty big deal. Um, it, you know, it paid well with with Honda contingency and and there's a good purse. And you know, since there were so many, you know, a lot of the fast guys then were you know from Ontario. You know, guys like you know, Bill Wallen, Marty Burr, um, you know, Galdi, um, I think DeHaan too. There's, we'd all ride the provincials as well as the nationals, right? So um, right. we would battle, you know, six, seven times a year at these uh, local Ontario tracks. And we just wrapped up the the provincial stuff the day before. And then the next day was this kind of one-off race in this little town, called Oxbridge and it was just this little man-made track at this fairground and that paid for some reason the you know Terry Barrett was the guy who ran it and he got you know a couple big sponsors and they were paying like a really good purse I mean I think it was like you know 1500 or two grand to win you know and you went went out and did like two 10-minute races right and uh, so you would have been a fool not to not to go so it was, uh, yeah, I went and first lap of the first moto, I got the whole shot and came around the first lap and one of the track workers, uh, he had a, I think he had a headset on or something, but he didn't, he wasn't paying attention. And just as I came off this jump before you cross the start line, he, he decided he was going to cross the track because he, I guess he didn't know the race had started or whatever, but so he crossed the track and and I uh and I just smoked him. I mean I hit him I tried to get out of the way but I was in the air and I just caught him out of the corner of my eye crossing the track and I'm like, What are you doing, bud? Like mm. you know, so I landed and I just had time to get on the brakes but I hit him and just went flying. Like I think I flew probably sixty feet Holy. through the air, landed, hit my head, um, knocked me out. And uh, that was kind of the start of, I got a concussion from that, obviously. Yeah. Um, you know, in those days, you know, those were still the days that, you know, people knew about concussions, but they didn't really know anything about, you know, treating them or, you know, you just kind of rode through it. And if you didn't... You, you, you rang were, your bell. Yeah, basically. Yeah. And, yeah. uh so I took Alverton. I didn't go the next weekend to Alverton because I was still um, still kind of in rough shape. And then I wanted to keep, uh, you know, it sounds it sounds so stupid looking back on it, but, um, you know, I wanted to keep that coveted top 10 number. And I'd slip back after missing Alverton a bit. So I'm like, oh, I'm going to race one class at Walton and just keep, you know, keep that top 10 overall number. And um so I did, but it was a, you know, it was a miserable, miserable day of, you know, not feeling well. And I mean, I, I should, looking back, I shouldn't have been, you know, in this, today, riders wouldn't even think about racing under those. Right. But, uh, so yeah, it just, that started it, you know, that was kind of the first, 
trigger at the time. I, I was like 20, 26, I think, and just kind of like, um, you know, maybe start doing, thinking about doing something else. And then um, in 2000, I got a really good, really good ride with, with two wheel with Ron Ashley and two wheel Kawasaki. Oh, right on. And, um, you know, for the whole series, you know, the Ontario provincials, he offered me great contingency. Um, it was, you know, it was by far the best deal that, that I'd gotten, uh, throughout my entire pro career at that time. I mean, it was, you know, there was some, some money, some money on the table because, you know, as we talked about in 2000, that's when the series really changed and that's when the first influx of a lot of U.S. riders and foreign riders came up. I mean, that was the year Dubok won. Um, you know, teams were had money to spend and were offering, were offering good rides and, and stuff. So I jumped on the, I jumped on the Kawasaki for, for 2000 and was like pretty excited about it. And then, um, yeah, we did that season. Um, you know, I don't, I don't think it went the way that I wanted to, um, just because I'd, uh, it's funny cause I was just talking about this a couple of weeks ago and stuff, but, uh, for 2000, I had trained the same way that I trained in past, in the past, you know, four or five years for the four motos, right. And, and the four motos, it was always about pacing yourself, you know, always about, you know, you, you put yourself out there at certain times in the moto to get track position and to battle. But then because you knew you had to have to race four motos, you always just kind of, you always paced yourself. You always just conserved energy because right. you just didn't want to, you just didn't want to run out of energy. Right. So, um, you trained a certain way. I mean, you just trained for, you know, endurance as long as you know long races um so then for 2000 i trained the same way but because guys were just riding one class um and just two motos and because all these new guys had come up the the pace had jumped up that much more so instead of just you know pacing yourself and you know doing a little bit of work in the first 10 minutes of the moto and then just kind of taking it easy it was all of a sudden it was all about that intense 20 minute sprint right and that's what that's what changed as far as i mean so much had changed off the track in 2000 but that's really what changed on the track was just the whole pace of the race had changed and the whole strategy of the race and i totally misjudged it and um you know I had some really good first half of the motos in, in 2000. Um, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, you'd be sitting seventh place or so eighth place after, you know, 15 minutes, you know, battling with, with, uh, you know, Dahan and Lange, you know, Lange and, yeah, those guys. And you'd be like right in there. And then all of a sudden you just get, you'd reach a point, you know, at the 20 minute mark where, you know, you just, I just wasn't conditioned to, to keep that pace going and, and kind of, so that was, um, that was difficult. Um, I wish I'd, uh, 
you know, looking back, I wish I'd trained a little, little differently. Um, you know, again, it was, I just didn't know, right. It was like, yeah, just that's interesting. Ignorant to the, to the fact that, you know, Hey, you know, racing might, might change and stuff. So, um, yeah. So after 2000, um, I had, uh, that winter I had actually, uh, decided to go and get like a job, like a real job for the winter, just to kind of, uh, earn some extra money, pass the time. Um, so I got a job at a local, um, airport. Uh, my dad had, my dad was a career airline pilot. So okay. flying was, uh, flying is also in, in the blood. So, um, you know, I was kind of starting to think about getting, you know, maybe my pilot's license and, you know, what better way to kind of get introduced to the aviation industry than, you know, working at an airport. So yeah, yeah. I got a winter, I got a winter job, um, between 2000 and 2001 and, uh, started flying and get my pilot's license. And, um, yeah, I came back 2001 and raced a little bit. I rode the provincial, the provincials in Ontario, um, a couple nationals, but, uh, yeah, that was it. I was just, um, I was just burnt out, I think at the time, you know, okay. you know I just, the concussions had a couple concussions. Um, in 2000, at the end of the year, I, I, uh, at Walton, I was riding really good by that point. I think I'd started to figure things out. I mean, you know, <laughs> finally by the last round, you start to feel good. That's always the case. But, uh, you know, then I fell and separated my shoulder, um, so it was just, like I said at the beginning, it was just a number of number of things, and you know, just getting just tired and just thinking about, hey, you know, maybe, you know, I got to find something, something else to do, and then flying, you know, learning to fly and learning a new, new craft, kind of uh, filled the void at the time that that I knew not doing not racing was going to leave. So kind of just transitioned at the time into that a bit well there you go and uh closing the chapter on uh on a canadian national career a a professional motocross career where you found yourself top 10 points uh a number of times battling with these guys um like when we look back at your your uh, career uh what are some of your uh sort of like your 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 most favorite accomplishments you look back and be like yeah I'm glad I was able to accomplish that or I was able to uh, I was able to finish this pretty strong what, what were some of the most fond memories and let's also remember that uh you you came up through the ranks and uh, very much towards the middle to the end of your uh uh, professional career there's some pretty cool uh characters including a guy by the name of uh, ryan gold coming in through so uh um some good times i was i, I were had i i assume as well <laughs> yeah i mean it, it uh you know i think the the first accomplishment that uh that i think back to is just the fact that um that i made it through that that era you know from so you want to talk about, you know, the nineties, maybe that whole decade, that was, you know, kind of, that was my era. Um, and just the fact that, that me and a few other guys, you know, that we made it through, cause it was, um, you know, it was certainly different than, than what the guys, what the guys have now, um, you know, good and bad. Um, but, uh, you know, I wouldn't change anything about 
that year because it was just so um I don't know it was just so it was so pure there was no um you know obviously it was before social media and internet and all that stuff but you know it was just you know there was no training facilities I mean we would go down to Florida for a couple months in the winter and you know stay in Ocala and you know there was a couple private tracks but um you know we'd just go and ride and we'd always see the same you know guys like Mike Treadwell and those type of Keith Johnson, you know, you kind of just always see those guys that, you know, sometimes came up and raced in Canada during the summer, but, um, it was just everything. I mean, the ton of, ton of arena crosses that, that I raced in Quebec in those days. I mean, we used to drive to, you know, it's an eight hour drive for me to get to Quebec. And, you know, I probably did that drive, um, you know, 12 times a year, just, going to arena crosses, um, coming back in the middle of the night to race a provincial the next day here. Um, just all that stuff. I mean, to me, that's just the fact that, that I did it and, and, um, you know, never mind the individual results, but, uh, just the fact that I did it and, you know, persevered through it. And, um, so that's, you know, that's something I hold, you know, really dear that I, that I did that. But, um, you know, from an individual, uh, results point of view I you know I'm happy that I won a bunch of Ontario provincial titles because as I alluded to before I mean in those days you know there was four or five top 10 top 10 Canadian riders living in Ontario and you know we would go at it you know we'd show up at Gopher Dunes or something and and we'd just battle for four four motos a day um, and then you know it was a total there's no pacing yourself. It was just a total sprint, you know, as hard as you could go, as fast as you could go, um, you know, and I was able to to win some Ontario championships against those guys. And then, um, yeah, just the fact that I won, I was able to get some national moto wins and some overalls in, uh, in 90, 95 and 96. Um, that was... Uh, you know, I'll never forget, never forget those. I won three or four motos in uh, Saint Hubert, Quebec, in '96 in the mud at that at that national, and that was, uh, you know, you, t- you know, you know, as a rider, every rider out there knows that uh, you can have days when, you know, you try as hard as you can and and you get nothing out of it, and you leave the track just you know scratching your head and wondering, you know, geez, what the you know what the heck was that? But yeah. uh, that day in '96 in, in the mud in Quebec was uh, that it rained all day. I mean the conditions were were just atrocious. But um, for some reason, uh, I was just I was always a good mud rider, so it was you know the mud was never an issue for me. But uh, it was just one of those days where you're just you're just on rails. I mean there was no it was I've heard of I mean I heard you know older riders like Kevin Windham or something who who's talked about this where he just it was just easy it was one of those days where you just leave there and you think I can't believe I just did that like how easy was that yeah and, uh, won three motos that day got second in the last moto um that was uh probably the you know if I had to pick one day where you know everything just totally came together perfect conditions suit my riding bike was good um track suited me 
um, yeah, that was the uh, that was it. Quebec '96. So um, yeah, that was uh, those are definitely the the highlights. And uh, like I said, just uh, I think the biggest thing is just the fact that you know we made it through we made it through that year in in one piece because it was uh, it was one of those things it was the best of times and the worst of times. No doubt, you uh, definitely uh, had some uh, some some super highlights there, man. Like the just your ability to uh, to recall that stuff is 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 awesome. The fact that it's so many great stories, and uh, actually, it's funny you mentioned uh, going back a little while ago, um, racing uh, like ill-advised racing with uh, with a concussion to try and get that top ten number. Uh, I can uh, I-, I can top your. Uh, like kind of a foolish racing story in the fact that uh, with 26 stitches in my right knee, I raced the final round of the uh, provincial series to uh, so I can get top 10 in points in the 85 cc. I think that would have been seven to 11 class. And um, what was really on the line, on top of the the top 10 in points, was a jacket from uh, Headingley Sports Shop. That if you were top ten in points, you get a Headley Sport Shop jacket, and I wanted that jacket more than anything in the world. So uh, I had my aunt, who's a nurse, come to the races with me, and actually change my bandages after each moto to make sure that I could I could go out there and, and still finish top ten in points. So uh, we'll do some crazy things for moto. Yeah, I mean, I never, you know, people used to. I think because um, I think because my style was always, um, you know, kind of smooth where people would would watch and go oh you know he makes it look makes riding a bike look look pretty easy and um i think there was always the you know um people thought oh you know he's not trying just because he doesn't look like he's trying right but um you know under the helmet um you know i was (laughs) always always trying and um you know it was definitely definitely never easy and um you know, I remember one time, I mean, this was after, um, you know, 2000, 2008 and 2009, I, I decided to make a little bit of um, comeback to, to race some nationals. And I rode the Walton National at the end of 2008. And then I raced, uh, the plan was to do the same in 2009. And so, but I wanted to ride Gopher. I'd never ridden a, a national at Gopher Dunes. And at that time, I was, you know, I just kind of started with, with MXP magazine. So I thought, oh, you know, it's be a, a cool, cool story. We'll make a story around it, and you know, I'll get to be able to say that, hey, I rode a national at Gopher Dunes. And so, uh, 2009 um, showed up, did some good training. Um, you know, I was in good shape. Um, I was on a Honda that year. Uh, showed up and did time practice and on second lap or so of time practice gopher dunes used to have these big rollers that kind of over by the the trees and stuff if anyone had has any been to gopher but Mm -hmm. um, anyway i totally mistimed these rollers i mean they were you could either jump through them or you could roll like wheelie through them and um, I was jumping through them, just kind of double, double, double. And I doubled and I, it happened. It was one of those crashes that happened so fast. It was just ridiculous. But I basically 
put the front wheel into a hole that, that I didn't know was there. And just, I was over the bars so quickly that just, I couldn't even get rid of the bike. It was just me and the bike just did this big somersault and the bike landed, did a somersault, landed on its wheels, coasted off the track, fell over. Um, the bike wasn't even bent, but, um, in the process of cartwheeling with the bike, um, my mechanic that day had just sharpened the foot pegs before practice because I thought, you know what, let's get these foot pegs sharp. I'm going to probably do a lot of standing today. Um, you know, want my feet to be kind of firmly planted on these pegs. So he's like, Oh, don't worry about it. I'll get these pegs nice and sharp. So as I was cartwheeling with the bike, the one foot peg, um, just sliced my whole side down, like just opened it up. Like it was like, I was attacked by a shark. Jesus. And, um, (laughs) ironically, when I crashed, I landed right, right at the feet of Derek Schuster go for dunes track owner so right. first person i see as i open my eyes is schuster standing there like are you okay poms yeah. <laughs> i'm like yeah i feel okay and i'm like nothing's broke and you know my head was a little ringy but you know i don't think anything was was wrong with it but i was like man i was kind of happy that i wasn't hurt more and he's like yeah that was that was like a really bad crash dude are you all right i'm like yeah yeah so went back to the truck and i all i could think about was my son, who at the time was, um, he was, uh, I think, 18 months old. Ooh. And this was going to be, I mean, he was old enough to to know that he was going to watch his dad race. Yep. So I didn't want to disappoint him. So I went back to the truck, and all I could think of was, like, I didn't really get a fast lap in. I'm not going to make the top 40, because I think there's, like, 50, 450s that day. So I went back. I'd broken my helmet, so I grabbed my other helmet, raced back out, did one super fast lap as hard as I could, came back, sat down. I was like still like out of breath from crashing. Like I was still trying to catch my breath. But I got into the motos. My son, my wife and son show up. Um, you know, he gets to see his dad race. I go to the St. John's before the first moto and like, you know, look at this, like, what are we going to do with this? I'm going to, I want to race the motos. And they're like, you got to go to the doctor. You got to go to the hospital to get stitches. Cause it, like, it was, it was awful how opened up it was. It was probably about six inches long and just peeled up like it and jagged because it was a foot peg that did yeah. it. So it was all jagged. Um, and they're like, we can't, I mean, you have to get stitches and you have to get stitches like quickly or, or you won't be able to get stitches. So I'm like, well, I just want to do the two motos. Like, my kid's here. I just want to see his dad race. Um, you know, just do whatever you can. So they patched it up the best they could. They said, just come back after each race. We'll patch it back up. We'll clean it. Um, so anyway, long story short, I raced the day. Um, the track was completely miserable, um, you know, but I did it. I raced to Gopher Dunes National just so I could say that I did, and my son got to see me uh, see me race it. And then I went to the hospital that night, and the doctors—I don't know—I mean, you know how you sometimes you get a you get a good nurse or a good doctor, or you get one that really doesn't like motocross. 
yeah. and dirt bikes. And I got one of those and Perfect. she was like, <laughs> she was like, why, when did you do this? And I said, Oh, just a couple hours ago. She's like, no, when did you do this? And I said, well, probably about nine thirty this morning. And I mean, at this time it was like eight o'clock, nine o'clock at night. She's like, yeah, starting to scab over. She's like, I shouldn't even, I shouldn't even stitch this. Like you're right on the border of, of me not being able to stitch it. Cause it already starts to heal from the inside and stuff. So, yeah. um, anyway, she stitched it was grumpy. Um, basically did it and, you know, showed me the door and, but it was all, uh, looking back, it was all worth it. So it all came out. Okay. I got a big, I still have a big scar though. So there you go. It's, a good, it's a good reminder of a tough day at, at Gopher Dunes and, uh, Schuster still reminds me of how bad that crash was. So, <laughs> yeah, sounds like a nasty one, and yeah, definitely uh, taking the cake as far as uh, soldiering on out there uh, with um, just some ad- adversity. But in the sport of motocross, we we welcome adversity. We're comfortable with adversity. I think that's one of the things that sort of separates us from other sports and also why a lot of people uh if they haven't experienced the sport if they've never raced sometimes they have a hard time understanding what the pull what the what the draw is is that as as exhilarating as it is to do certain things on a motorcycle whether you're doing a big jump or ripping a corner or this that and the other thing um it's it's not only the exhilaration of doing that it's also that kind of mentally calm headspace that you like you're you're conquering something that a lot of people wouldn't even fathom uh attempting and you're doing so uh with a pretty clear head that in itself is a pretty cool thing about motocross like uh i think there was a one of the bigger jumps here in manitoba uh it was an uphill jump at morden and uh before um back in like 2010 i was jumping it pretty much every lap my dad's like what are you thinking when you just send that thing i'm like i i was thinking about nothing like there's a thing thing about what i need to pick up from the grocery store later like it's it doesn't like i i don't think about anything other than just like oh i i gotta hit this jump and it's it's pretty simple it's third gear wide open so like you know what i mean like that that like really mentally sketchy terrain for a lot of people where in motocross we're pretty relaxed yeah i mean we there's things like you said we do we don't even uh you don't even think about it, it just comes second nature and uh you know i think you know as a as a young rider um you know going through it myself and then seeing um you know my son he'll be he'll be 12 this year and he loves you know he loves racing it as much as as much as i did as much as anyone does and to see him now go through it and to see you know his competition and other young riders um, I mean, I'm just, I'm blown away. I mean, there's not one, not one second where, you know, I sit there and, and think, you know, these, you know, these kids have it easy or, you know, um, you know, I did it so anyone can do it. I mean, these kids these days are, are, are phenomenal. The things they do on the bike, um, you know, some of the extra pressures that they have to, Put up with off the bike now, um, with, with things like you know, social media. I mean, I know not every kid's involved in it, but um, you know, there's there's a lot more they have to deal with and stuff. So, um, you know, I'm amazed at that, and 
you know, I always compare it to, you know, in the winter, my son plays hockey and I've coached him, you know, for a number of years. And so I work with kids in the sport of hockey, you know, at, at this age, at that, you know, 11, 12 years old. Um, and I've always said this, that, you know, you take a, and I mean, again, this is no disrespect to, to hockey players out there. I mean, it's a great sport and it teaches you, you know, that team, team play and that the team aspect of, of life. But yep. uh, when you compare a motocross, a young motocross rider to a young hockey player, um, there's no comparison with the maturity level or um, mental toughness, mental toughness, um, the ability to, to just focus on the task. Um, I mean, motocross and I guess most individual sports um, teach that. I mean, you know, I, I tell hockey parents, like we talk about motocross, they're like, what's it like? What's it like? I'm like, well, you know, you're basically, you know, you look at hockey, you're accountable. You know, a kid goes, a kid goes out for, for, uh, you know, 30 second shift, 40 second shift, comes back, sits at the bench, um, you know, gets to be, gets to be coached at the time, gets to sit there for a couple minutes and reassess, you know, or assess his performance and, you know, they go, okay, I'm going to go out and do better. Then they go out and, you know, they have that option of passing to a teammate if they get in trouble. Um, but in motocross, I mean, you're basically, you know, a kid is as small as four or five, you know, you're putting them behind a starting gate, you know, giving them a hug, patting them on the back and saying, good luck. I'll, you know, I'll see you in 10 minutes. And, uh, they go out there on the track and every decision, every decision that has to be made, they have to make it right. And they face the, uh, the consequences of, uh, of those decisions and stuff. And they're, you know, it's, uh, it certainly forces you to, to mature at a, at a very young age. And I think that's, uh, you know, you take away the risk of the sport, um, all that stuff and take away all that. And I think that's one of the things that makes this, this sport so special. Absolutely. I, I totally agree. Uh, I think it's a, um, mainly because the motorcycle throws you to the ground. You figure out right quickly that, uh, there's no screwing around out here. Like, uh, you, you gotta, uh, to be successful, you gotta, you gotta be on task. You gotta be focused. And, uh, especially if you're a competitive guy, um, you need that much more just to sort of, uh, be able to compete with those around you. And it, it's pretty wild in the fact that motocross really does, um, it like when, like the, um, what, what comes second nature to us is they get thrown from the motorcycle, absolutely tossed onto the ground. And it's, I always, I always laugh when I watch like compilation videos of crashes when you got guys that like your average person, if they hit the ground like that, they wouldn't even think to even look for the motorcycle to try and see where it is or where they could find it and get back on that damn thing. But, uh, uh motocross racers, completely different breed. They get back on it. They don't even think their more, their biggest concern is not having not lost too many positions, uh, rather than am I okay? Is the bike okay? Um, we're we're cut from a, a different cloth, and uh, but I think we like it that way, and uh, I think that's how it's going to stay. I hope so. Um, I mean, it's it hasn't changed. You know, so many things in the sport have changed since uh, since I started, but there's some things that that haven't changed, and 
Um, I think that's that's one of them. Um, just you know, everyone's drive to to get better and to make up for for their mistakes. And, and like you said, you know, they have a crash, and you know, as long as they're not you know really really injured, they uh, their first instinct is to get back up and and get going again and and try to uh, try to finish. And I mean, you know, you take away you take that out of the context of sport, um, whatever sport that is, uh, you take that out of it. And I mean, that's just, that's such a great life lesson, right? And if you can live your life, um, with those rules is that, you know, you get knocked down, um, you know, you have a bad day or, or something. And, you know, as long as your first instinct is to have a better day tomorrow or or get back up and, and get going, um, that's what, uh, That'll take us. It'll take everyone through life pretty well. I can gotta agree with you on that one, my friend. Do uh, you have a few more minutes for me, or do I have to let you, let you run? No, I'm good. I'm good. If you wanna, if you wanna keep chatting. Hey, I'm enjoying the conversation, <laughs> my friend. Um, how how did the the transition for you go from uh, uh, loading and ramping planes to uh, developing? Um, and and becoming the editor of probably one of the most uh, enjoyed and circulated uh, publications in in for sure Canadian motocross MXP I think it, it's uh, it, it's a pretty like like maybe we can dive into that a little bit and, and sort of um, like that evolution because it, that's been a long time coming and uh, a lot of issues enjoyed and uh, that's sort of where you're at now. Yeah, I mean it's. It's been a, um, you know, I guess like like my racing and stuff. It was uh, it's been a long, kind of uh, gradual process. Um, you know, it funny. It started just innocently enough. Um, I mean, I'd always even in school. You know, going back to high school and stuff like that, I was always able to, um, you know, articulate my thoughts. Um, you know, not just verbally but also you know sit down and and write stuff down um i was always able to do that um so when i was working when i was doing my pilot's license and and working at that airport um uh, mark travers who was you know doing all the the commentating the television at the uh at the nationals at the time he was he was the editor at mx performance and I was going to, I decided that I was going to go to the U.S. Open in Vegas at the end of, I want to say this is like 2004. Um, I was just going to go, basically, my my wife and I were just going to go on vacation and just go to Vegas, watch the race. Um, it looked like a cool event. So that's back when it was at the, the MGM Grand. So um, uh, I was just, happened to be chatting with uh with Travers I think it was at the Montreal Supercross that year and he said oh if I get you a a media pass um do you think you could write a story about it because we need stories for MXP and I'm like yeah sure I mean why not so went to Vegas got the media pass um you know kind of covered it from a media perspective, you know, paid a little closer attention to, to what was going on, 
a um, little behind the scenes, came home. Um, it was funny because at the time, I had no idea how to type. Mm. And um, so I came home and I hand wrote the story on paper. And then um, I got my wife to type it out. And I saved it on like a disc. And then I took the disc to Travers and, and said, here, um, here it is. And so that was my first ever uh, story um, for MXP. And then it kind of just, I did it again the next year. I'm like, yeah, that was fun. So I did it for the US Open. And I think I went to the Anaheim Supercross one year, same sort of deal. Um, and then it just went from there. I got, um, they needed a, um, I think assistant editor at the time, uh, a few years later, got in like that. And then, um, yeah, just did work with them for, for a couple years. And then I went and did, I think after 09, I went and did some freelance stuff for, for different publications and then slowly got back, uh, got back in the fold with, with MXP and that was about six years ago, I think. And, um, yeah, here we are, here we are now going strong. Um, you know, it's, it's amazing how, how things, uh, have changed even in the last, you know, five or six years. Um, you know, even maybe the last three with, with social media now becoming such a, such a big part of, uh, of the job description. Um, you know, Four years ago, I think maybe you did some tweeting at the races, and that was enough. And now, now it's this whole. Do you enjoy you that? Know, the social media part. Um, yeah. I enjoy. I enjoy what like I enjoy reading people's social media and like being able to just like stay totally in tune with what um, people are doing. Yeah. Um, but from my perspective, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I'm just, uh, I could do without it sometime. Um, you know, I know it's obviously it's you. a must. It's it's a huge part, but I mean, uh, you know, I mean, I just look at, you know, the MXP, um, MXP mag is, is our Instagram, um, address. And, um, you know, obviously that has to be updated multiple times, during the day. Um, and then there's a, the event part of it that, you know, you're constantly posting pictures. Um, you know, it's, it's time consuming, right. But like I said, it's part of the job. But if you look at, uh, like my own Instagram is, is palms MX. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't, <laughs> I don't have to update that all the time. And then, you know, you kind of, you'll go like a few days and you're like, Oh yeah, I should post a picture. And then, you get an old picture that you think is cool or even that video I posted last week of me and Matasevich. Yeah. Stuff like that. But I'm just not like every day, you know, got to post something. Uh, I don't know. I'm just not like that. It's just not my nature. So, Fair enough. Um, so yeah, I mean, to answer your question, it's, it's part of the job and, and I know, uh, you know, 
It's a love-hate thing. How about that? Does that sound good? That's oh, yeah. Good no, I, I, I totally agree. Sometimes I, I love scrolling through it. It, it. I can get lost for hours. There's other times I don't want to look at it. Sometimes I just want to spectate. Sometimes I want to contribute. Uh, and that's the beauty of social media. You can kind of do all of that. Um, and, of course, uh, like I, I find there's a, a little bit more, say, maybe some more negativity on on twitter I, I think twitter to me a lot of times is just a, a one big message board where everyone just uh uh yells at each other for the most part um and then uh instagram uh sharing more pictures and stuff like that there's a little bit less uh um sort of banter going back and forth people mostly just sharing so uh i, I enjoy it i and it's and it, it's honestly it's the platform that i've been able to be successful with um to to get the word out of the things that I've been doing. Without social media, I don't think anyone would know that uh, this is uh, episode 690 of the Big MX Radio podcast, and uh, it, it's been it's been really cool to uh, to be able to to share that with people and, and to uh, to get the reaction and just just connect. Honestly, I, like uh, uh, if if I'm not mistaken, that's how we connected uh, through direct message on Instagram uh, a couple of weeks ago, and uh, just getting to, to like the beauty of it is if you have the time, you can you can kind of go back and and do some research and and just get get lost on certain things and um and that's always fun as well and uh and yeah like um I, I think it's a great outlet for for guys like yourself to uh to to basically uh promote all the the hard work that you do uh going to the races and uh oh every once in a while just going down to uh uh the baker's factory riding some brand new husqvarna i was jealous <laughs> that was one of those uh perks of the job that uh no doubt that you don't it was like I got lots of feedback on that. Like, oh, you know, I love your job. You know, it doesn't even feel like work. And, uh, yeah, yeah. you know, those are the days that that you pitch yourself. You know, I remember driving in on a – we all took a, a bus from – we stayed in downtown Orlando at this um, this really nice hotel. And then we all loaded up on a on a bus and, and drove out there, all the journalists. And, I mean, it was an international launch, so there's journalists from, from all over the world. And uh, we drove out there and – it's probably like a 45 minute drive from downtown Orlando, but yep. driving into that gate and, um, you know, just seeing that facility there, it was, uh, yeah, you had to, you had to pinch yourself to make sure you weren't just sitting there dreaming. So, Fair enough. so, uh, what's on the horizon? You don't have to give us any details on any, uh, features you're working on right now, but, uh, uh, like, uh, the, the 2019 uh, Cross uh, Championship wrapped up. A couple of championships crowned in uh, Dylan Wright and, uh, and and Cole Thompson. And now uh, all, all focus goes to the outdoors. Um, like, uh, do you guys have anything uh, planned as far as how you'll you'll cover it differently than the next year? Uh, I assume at some point during this conversation is when you you announce that uh, I'll, I'll be your the MXP beat. Rep- beat reporter for the whole thing and you guys will uh forward me all my uh, my flight information for that um what, what's going on um yeah i mean it's i think everyone's uh you know excited to to finish up finish up that ax tour in barry last weekend yeah i mean I, I will say that i think that was the i didn't make it to the first the first two rounds of that series because right. we were uh we had a family vacation um in mexico that had been planned for for a long time so i missed the first two rounds but um you know from any of the 
any of the AX rounds that I've been to in the last couple of years, um, I think Barry was was probably the best, if not, you know, one of the best. Oh, um, the dirt was the dirt was spectacular. I mean, the dirt was perfect dirt, and there was a good crowd. The racing, I mean, you know, as a racer, I just think everyone's mindset just changes when you walk into the arena and you see, you know, the tracks sitting there and, the, you know, you take a step onto the dirt and you're like, oh, you know, this is this is going to be good tonight, right? And I think any, everyone, the energy level just, just goes up and and it showed all day, all night with the racing. I mean, there was some, some great battles, um, some great riding. Um, there was kind of, you know, different storylines, different subplots with, with, you know, like you said, Dylan and, and Cole both having to, you know, ride not safe or so, but they had to, you know, think their way through the night um, to get their championships. And then you had riders like, uh, you know, Tyler, um, Reslin, um, you know, in the 450, Gorky, you know, Nicoletti, those guys, I mean, those guys were just going for the win. Um, so their level was, was high. Um, yeah, it was just, what a great, great way to finish off the 2019 AX tour. Right. And then it was like the moment it was done, it was like, okay, cool. Um, you know, Dylan, congratulations. Awesome job. You know, same with you, Cole. And then you wake up the next day and you're like counting the days till outdoors Calgary. Right. So, um, you know, everyone's, uh, Everyone just has to shift their their focus to, uh, you know, to what uh, to the great outdoors, as they as they say. So um, I think it's going to be, you know, obviously we didn't see Pettis or uh, or Colton in the AX tour um, or Lessie for that matter. Um, maybe even Meston. We didn't see Meston, so we're going to see some new faces on the line in Calgary. And yeah, I mean. You know, I know that the focus is is shifted a little bit um, with racing up here to, you know, more, you know, you got to take the indoor stuff seriously. It's a big part of it, Um, you know, training, bike setup, you know, everything. But, uh, you know, I still think uh, I still think we're we're outdoor driven up here. Oh, yeah, I think that's 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 my feeling, you know, and talking to the riders i mean they still you know their bar for a successful season uh you know it it is set from the outdoors right and um you know so everyone just puts just that little extra emphasis on uh on i mean i guess it's eight rounds this year um so just those eight rounds i mean you gotta there's no room for there's no room for error I don't think uh, one bad moto, uh, it's going to be tough to, to make up for. So that puts even more, uh, more pressure on the teams and on the riders to, to not have any mistakes in the first, uh, in the Western part of the series. Absolutely. It's going to be amazing. Uh, both two fifties and four fifties, uh, before I let you go here on the big MX radio podcast, who do you like? Who, uh, who who's sort of uh, jumping off the page at you uh, as far as somebody you think is going to make some noise? Both two fifties and four fifties. Obviously, Tyler jumping down. 
to the 250s. He's going to have his hands full with uh, with Jess Pettis, who uh, recently had a practice crash, but we we, we come to find out uh, just a little bit sore. I think he's going to be all right, and uh, um, he's got uh, a great bike underneath him, as well as Kevin Benoit's mechanic, uh, Matt. Um, in, in his corner, so he's got a great support system. New bike for him this year, but he's been uh, he's been shaking that thing down for a, f- a number of months now, so he should be comfortable. Uh, and then four fifties, you got all kinds of talent, including the newcomer uh, Philip Nicoletti, who uh, oh no big deal, uh, runs up front in American Nationals quite a bit. Uh, so, uh, w- w- what are your thoughts rolling in the series? I think it's. Uh... You know, I think it's it's more more wide open than than maybe it's been in a in a number of years. Um, you know, like you mentioned, I mean, you want to talk two fifty first. Um, you know, defending champ Pettis. Um, you know, I think we all you know tuned into the the TV at the start of the season to see how he would do. You know, at the Supercross, we were all excited. Um, you know, I went to Anaheim too got to see him ride in person and um you know he was a top 10 maybe even a top six six guy down there um you know a couple i know he had a really good uh outdoor start to his outdoor training down in florida last month um him and tanner ward were were riding together um and things are going well and then you know like you said he went back to california had a had a pretty good practice crash by uh from what we've heard so um you know he's going to be good I, I still think he's he's got to be the favorite uh in the 250 yeah but um you know i'm i think the tyler medaglia thing i mean that's going to be exciting to watch um you know he brings so much so much pedigree with him to to that class um you know experience i think his speed's good i think his bike is good um and i think he's hungry you know and i I also don't think that i really don't think he has that much pressure on him other than what he puts on himself you know each each race day um you know i just wrote about this the other day and it's you know i think if he if he wins then you know, or does well, then great. Um, you know, if he, if he doesn't, then, um, you know, if he gets beat by the, by the kids, so to speak, then, you know, oh, well, you know, just got beat by younger riders. Right. I don't think there's that much pressure on him, which is, you know, a good thing. Um, so he's going to be good. I mean, Dylan Wright has to be feeling, you know, I think we've, we saw or we're seeing a whole different, uh, we're kind of seeing the evolution of of Dylan Wright here with, um, you know, as he gets older, as he gains experience, um, you know, his riding is is slowly, the consistency in his riding is slowly coming around. Um, so he's going to be good. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that class is, you know, is going to be off the charts, I think, right from the first gate drop. Um, and then the 450 class, you know, you obviously have a little more tempered approach with uh, with those guys. Um, you know, a little more experience, um, bigger bikes, obviously. But uh, you know, that's gonna be interesting too because, you know, like you said, Nicoletti's run top five in the states a number of times. 
Um, so he obviously has some speed, um, some experience. You know, I think he's got a little bit of, uh, um, you know, sp- know what the word is, maybe uh, grit grit to his riding outdoor. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, he's like cut from a, a different cloth, that guy. He's like, he's like a, a reincarnation treadwell or something. I don't even know. Yeah, he's he's a, a different uh, different breed for sure. But um, I mean, you know, it'd be interesting to see how he handles. Um, you know, if he does in those early rounds, if he is getting getting beat by, um, you know, Colton or Cole or Gorky, um, you know, or all three, you know, how will how will he handle that? Sometimes it's interesting to see how those, um, you know, when those upper tier American riders yeah. come up, um, you know, as much as they have respect for, for who they're racing against. Um, I always think that deep down, they always feel like they're, you know, you know, a little bit on a higher level, um, just because of the racing they've been doing in the oh, States. Yeah. Um, obviously that's the, the pinnacle of, of our sport. Um, and then when, if they don't do well, when they come up or, you know, um, it's a bit of a struggle, uh, mentally, but um, you know, I think we'll Purcell, see how Purcell struggled with that. I think he, he he thought he was going to come up here and just whack some guys, and uh, realize that uh, he came up here and uh, we like to race up here. Yeah, no, for sure. And uh, but you know, he, he seems like the type that uh, we'll be able to to adapt and and to adjust to to how the pace is up here. And um, you know, I think Cole's hungry to to win outdoors, not just you know to prove that he's not just a I know he had, you know, I know he's had lots of success outdoors, but, um, you know, he's kind of got some unfinished business, I think in the 450 class. Um, so he's going to be, he's going to be good. I think he's, he's more confident and probably fitter than, than he's ever been. Um, I know they have that bike figured out. Um, you know, so that's going to be good. Um, you know, Gorky, I couldn't believe how fast Gorky was. Um, I know it was just, you know, it was a short arena cross final in Barry, mm-hmm. but, uh, man, Gorky just seems like he's, you know, I know he loves that bike. Um, you know, he dominated that main event in Barry and, uh, you know, he looks, he looks good. I know he's from talking to him. He's just chomping at the bit to, you know, I, I'm sure he wishes the outdoors started tomorrow. Right. So, uh, um, and then there's, uh, defending champ um colton right Fasciati. Uh, will uh you know i think this is you know is this his last summer racing i don't i know there was talk about it talk about it last year yeah but uh we'll see how that goes um you know i think he's like pettis um i think he's he's got to be the favorite still to repeat um he knows knows the tracks knows how to get the job done. Um, you know, another year of experience, you know, as if he needed another year, but he's no kidding. You know, I think um, he turned pro when you were still racing palms. <laughs> I remember his very first pro race actually, but, uh, go. um, no, he's, you know, he's good. The only, um, I think one thing that made him so good at the start of last year's outdoor series was that he had done, these early season arena crosses. Um, and I think that he came into Calgary last year, um, like just, um, 
not more prepared because I mean I think he's always prepared, but just like he was sharp last year. Yeah, like he was that, in race mode. He was in mid-season that, form, first race of the year. Yeah, he had some, you know, he had some meaningful gate drops. He had some, you know, as much as those those AX races are short, they were they're super intense. So I think we saw even in qualifying last year that he was good. Um, you know, it was just his sprint speed was was so good, um, and I think those arena cross races were uh, were you know definitely contributed to that. So we'll see how he um, you know we'll see how he does at the start of the series this year's series you know because uh, his competition have been have done these AX races right. So uh, but you know, he'll figure it out. He's uh, he's just that good. So um, no, I mean lots of like I said, lots of storylines, lots of things to look forward to. Um, you know, I'm glad we kick it off again in Calgary. Everyone loves, you know, they may not be in love with the track all the time, but um, who can argue with going to the, who can argue with the city and the landscape and just the hype of round one. It just seems to fit the Calgary area. So I can't wait. Uh, I can't wait till June 1st. Absolutely, and that's coming down the pipe real quick. Um, Chris Pomeroy here on the Big MX Radio Podcast. Chris, it's been a pleasure to have you on the show. We'll definitely have to make you a repeat offender because uh, we need to get all of the uh, the Lockhart stories out. We need to get the Goldie, Goldie story out. We, I didn't even get a chance to ask you about uh, all the embarrassing stories about Brett Lee. But uh, where can people find more information uh, and, and follow along with MXP? Uh, and where can they subscribe to the magazine? Uh, clue us in a little bit on that. And uh, I really appreciate the time today, man. Well, no, hey, man, the pleasure's, uh, you know, the pleasure's been mine. I appreciate, I know we've been trying to do this for a while, but. Uh, oh, yeah, that was great. You know, that was, uh, that was good. And, yeah, anytime you, you want to catch up, um, you're right. We got to, we still have uh, a lot of untouched, uh, Noob stories and, and Galdi oh. stories and uh, scratching you name the surface, it. but um, yeah. So no, uh, you know, if you wanna if you wanna subscribe, um, just shoot me an email at um, you know Chris at mxpmag.com and uh, I'll point you in the right direction. Um, I think I mentioned it before, but uh, on Instagram we're uh, we're just at mxpmag and. Um, yeah, the the website is mxpmag.com and you know my Instagram's palmsmx. So yeah, the uh that's it. Um things are going good and uh you know I know uh you know print is has been uh, a struggle with a lot of uh a lot of areas, a lot of sports. Um not just sports, but anything. You know, print, newspapers uh, are struggling, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, but uh, you know, I think we found we found that kind of um, that little uh, that niche. Um, you know, we we work hard on the website, work hard on social media, but um, you know, with the mag, we I think we have some really kind of just well-rounded stories in each issue. Um, you know, whether it's Mike McGill, it's kind of always touching on the history part of the sport, or you know, Lawrence Hacking does a lot of off-road stories for us. Um, you know, Andy White helps out with, with stories. Um, he does a great job. Um, yeah, I just, just think we got a good good team of, um, you know, contributors. And, of course, you know, it's always full of, of James Lismore's photography. Yes, which, sir. 
I mean, he is uh, he is as good as it gets. So, um, no, it's it. Things are going good, and uh, I hope they uh, I hope they continue because I, I enjoy doing it. And I enjoy uh, being a part of this sport still. And um, yeah, no, I appreciate you reach out to me. Absolutely, I'm glad we were able to make this connection, and we'll definitely uh, do this again. Maybe even do a a full comprehensive uh, MX preview uh, before the gate drops for the first motos in uh, in in Calgary coming up. But uh, this has been awesome. I'll let you get on with the rest of your day, my friend. Uh, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. For those who are listening, please follow Palms MX. Follow the MXP mag on Instagram. It's always great information, great way to stay up on all things Canadian moto. Uh, and uh, yeah, this, this, this has been awesome, man. I thank you so much uh, for the time today. No problem. Anytime. And um, you take care of yourself. Absolutely. Don't hang up just yet, but for podcast sake, we're going to cut it off right there. <laughs>